Swing and a drive. Right field and deep. Back goes Aquino. It's got a chance. Gone. Get out the tape measure. Long gone. Fly the W. Cubs fans, it's time to fly the W with Dustin Rhodes and Paul Crawley Jean. You're listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. This is season one, episode 59. Jed Hoyer on 670 The Score. I'm Dustin Rhodes, executive producer of the Mully and Haw Show on 670 The Score. Or, of course, your radio home for all things Cubs baseball. Don't forget to listen, download, review, and most importantly, subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on the socials, Fly the W670 on Twitter and Instagram, and Fly the W on Facebook, or email us at flythew670 at gmail.com. Crowley, welcome in. How was the holiday? You know, Dustin, I'm kind of surprised. I'm happy I didn't find a Carlos Correa under my tree. So, uh, you know, no complaints <laughs> there. <laughs> if you would have, it would have had a broken uh, a broken leg or something like that. So we'll get into Carlos before we uh, wrap up season, uh, season one, episode 59. But let's talk about Jed Hoyer on last week with Mully and Haw. It was the uh, – uh, Haw- Mully and Hall were there. It was Zach Zaidman in for David Haw and uh, talking about the Cubs offseason plan. Let's let's get into it, Crowley. Yeah, you know, Jed has been pretty tight lipped. Jed Jed kinda, you know, Theo was the same way. They didn't talk much, right? And they, they they let their moves do their talking. And so for those of us that are that are, you know, following everything we kind of get more panicky because we don't know anything. Uh, you know, they're not going to show their hand. And so it was interesting to hear what Jed had to say, considering all the ups and downs of, we've talked about this before, to me, one of the most critical off seasons for the Cubs organization in a very long time. So we do have some audio clips on the, uh, from the Mully and Haw show. And so, you know, Jed was pretty honest about his takes on here. And in and, and this first clip right here, Jed's talking about some of the holes that he recognizes in I the know, Cubs certainly line. We have um, the holes left on the roster. I think that it's fair to say that the, you know, the big blocks are, are in place that we're going to add this, this off season, you know, but um, certainly uh, we have some, some additions that, that we need to make to, to certain areas of the team. And so, yeah, we were, yeah, it's not going to be a, it'll hopefully be a quiet Christmas, but it's not going to be a quiet Christmas break. We'll still be working. And, you know, it's been, been really nice from, from my perspective. It's been a really fast free agent market, uh, which I think is, um, it's just appealing for us. And we, this is what it used to be like. And then we had this, I don't know, eight, 10 year period when everyone decided that it was, you know, uh, January was a new December and we're all going to sign late. And um, so I think it's been a fast moving market. I think it'll continue to do that. And, you know, I'd love, I'd love nothing more than having a sense of, you know, all the pieces in place or, or have a sense that we're, we're pretty much um, completed, you know, by, by, you know, mid January or so, because I do think that there's something to that as opposed to, you know, having players wandering in during, during spring training, I think this is a much better way for the whole industry to go about its business. Yeah, you know, certainly we have um, the holes left on the roster. I think that it's fair to say. So, you know, it, it's, he obviously knows there's holes in the roster. And so, you know, I was, some of the things that I thought about is him talking about how it used to be for a few years that January is when people were really starting making moves and sometimes into February. You remember that classic 2016 
when when the the, the guys were all out on the field, then they then they bring out and Theo brings out uh, Dexter Fowler, like they were already in camp and and they were Fowler already in camp when they brought him it. with. Yep, you know mm-hmm. when you right, and then you, you think about you know obviously you had the goof. examples over the last few years where the, you know it, it hasn't it, it has got leaked into january and later into february and it, it isn't good for the sport in general i like how this off season has moved and i think that's kind of what caused the partial panic for some of us cup fans because it, it moved quick it, it was really you know right after thanksgiving all the way The other day about um, when we talked about Dansby Swanson, you know, he was going to call all the players. It's like these guys are getting to know each other before, you know, Cubs convention and before pitchers and catchers. They're starting to kind of get introduced to each other. So it's nice to kind of see the team. Jed talked about some holes in the lineup still, and he realizes that. But as he said, the major pieces, the building blocks, they're in place. There's not going to be, in my opinion, another big splash move since the last time we talked. They find, you know, we talked the day we recorded last, Tucker Barnhart is your backup catcher to Jan Gomes. So it's going to be that uh, tandem of uh, Gomes and Barnhart. And then you have uh, Drew Smiley that was was re-signed to the Cubs. And so they were able to work something out. And so the Cubs have their, you know, I think in this next clip, Jed's going to be talking about the need to add another starter and some bullpen pieces. And so, you know, I'm, I'm guessing that when he was talking about that, that was with Drew Smiley signing um, forefront in his head. So let's hear what Jed had to say about that. Yeah, well, we're, we're you know in some discussions to add another you know, another starter, and then um, obviously the, you know, when the bullpen, we'll, we'll, we need to add to the to the bullpen. And I do think we have a lot of really good young arms, um, both in w- with our team and uh, in the minors. And so I think that's a strength of ours. But mm-hmm. you know, providing some stability and some some leadership back there is really important. I think that. Going, you know, entirely young in a bullpen can be risky. Uh, I do feel like, you know, bullpens are so so incredibly volatile, and you know, in my experience, I think it's really really hard to, you know, go into an off season and say we're gonna we're gonna build the bullpen with you know multi year deal multi year deals and and big contracts. I feel like um, I personally would much rather spend those uh, those dollars on you know things I feel like, feel like provide more certainty, frankly, you know, and so. We'll look to do what we've done, which is like you know try to find guys we think we can improve, guys we think that you know can bounce back or we can make some changes to, and uh, you know I'm, I'm confident we can uh, with our young pitching and, and and our infrastructure we can build a good bullpen. Yeah, well we're we're you know in discussions. So I will say another you know another. I I will say honestly that they have really done a great job with a bullpen in the last however many years doesn't matter if the Cubs were in last place or in first place. They have done a fantastic job of piecing together a bullpen. And what, what he says is true is that there are so many young arms that they have that that's great, but you also want a guy that can kind of be in charge of the bullpen, a guy to be the leader, the alpha dog, if you get what I'm saying, to kind of help these guys kind of, you know, learn about what it takes to be a professional and, and some of the struggles that they may endure and, it's it's really interesting how you know when you think about the last few years and the names whether it's Ryan Tapera and Andrew Chafin and and Craig Kimbrell who I think just signed with the Phillies 
And then after that, they 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 had um, David Robertson, and they had Scott Efros, and and nobody was sitting there before the season last year going Scott Efros is going to be a major contributor to the bullpen, and he turned out to be one of the best bullpen pieces they had. So whatever they're doing in the pitching infrastructure is working, and so you know I am I'm I'm at I'm at the point where I'm wherever that's one area where I can just say to Jed, you know, absolutely. No worries at all, and and let him do what he has to do. You know what I mean? Absolutely. What about Andrew Chafin? Would he be a guy that you'd like to see them possibly pick up? Maybe he helps you right now, and or maybe he helps you get a piece down the stretch. Now, obviously, the Cubs know the sheriff pretty well. Um, funny story. I'm at uh, I'm in Mesa, and uh, I see Andrew Chafin for the first time. Like I said, that that was. Uh, before the 2021 season, so I'm in Arizona and I'm in the backfields and the and the, all the bullpen guys are there and a lot of the pitchers were doing um, drills where the, you know the fungo gets hit to them and they're throwing it to first and it's all a lot of fun. But I see Andrew Chafin and I'm like, who is this guy? Right? Like I know, I think he was with Arizona prior. You know, it's just not you know not somebody that you were really familiar with. And I and I look at him and I said to him, I said, hey, uh, you know. In my head, Dustin, I am still 23 years old. I keep forgetting that I am I am closer to 50 than I am to 20. And so I said, hey, Andrew, you know, Chafin, I said, you know who you look like? He says, who? I said, you look like Rod Beck. He says, who the hell's Rod Beck? Like, dude, <laughs> the shooter, 1998. Come on, buddy. And he looks at me, he goes, I wasn't even born in 1998. I was like, Never mind. Come Never on, wait mind. a minute. So, he wasn't. He no, wasn't Chafin's born in '98. <laughs> wow, he wasn't born in '98. Let me let, let, me, let, let me see. Let, I, I swear, if he was, he was very very young. Let me put it that way. So if we take a look at Andrew Chafin, Andrew Chafin was bo- he's he's a young guy. He just kind of looks a little bit older. You know what I mean? Andrew Chafin was born. In, ah, I was wrong. 1990. So he would have been eight years old. Okay. So uh, I feel a little. I feel a little bit. I feel a little bit better because he like he, he looks, yeah, he looks <laughs> way older. So yeah, he does look. That's a good. That's a good comparison. Good comparison by you. Right. So if he comes back, great. But I have a feeling that you know, you know, Chafin's kind of proven his worth, and I think he'll probably be looking for a bigger contract uh, than what the Cubs want to spend. But who knows, man? He had a lot of fun out here, and maybe maybe he'll decide to give it another world. But. As I said, you know, it's Jed, take the wheel. I trust you with the bullpen, buddy. I uh, No worries. Now, um, obviously, last time you and I talked, we talked about how <laughs> we talked about how confident uh, we both were in Dansby Swanson from that awesome press conference. And we weren't the only ones to think it was an awesome press conference. Um, Jed Hoyer also was confident about it as no, well. No, he was great. I was actually just texting with him and just talking about how well he represented the Cubs and himself and his family. I thought he did such a great job. And it was a nice personal touch. And, you know, I did feel throughout the, uh, the negotiation, you know, I got the sense when we met with him that, you know, I think it was important to him. I think he had a real desire to be in Chicago. I think, you know, Wrigley and the – you know, Cubs fans in Chicago are really appealing to him. And I think that, you know, sort of living here with his wife, who he just married 10, 12 days ago, was appealing. And I didn't even know the, the grandfather story, but it felt like a, like this was a place that he had circled um, on the on the map. And, and that, that to me is it's really important. I think when you think about um, – we've all seen it when guys really want to go to a place – um, they're excited about their new destination. And I think they, they play well and they embrace it. And 
when there's struggles, they, they fight through them. I think sometimes you see it when a, a free agent goes to a place for the wrong reasons and, you know, maybe it wasn't the place he imagined. And I think that has a, a toll as well. So it's, it's always nice to, to sign a player that you know. Uh, we circled him and uh, he, sort of, he circled us, and that's a, that's a great fit. No, he was great. I was actually just texting with him and just talking about how well he represents. So, you know, looking at this right here and what he had to say here, uh, he didn't know about the story about the grandfather, which you and I were in tears about last time. And so that was a lot of fun. Um, You know, when he was talking about sometimes players go to the wrong place for the wrong reason. And, And I know he wasn't intending this, but the first thing that went into my head was Dexter Fowler. I was like, oh, that was just, that absolutely just did not work out. And so I agree that that idea of being in the right place and, and, and for Dansby, I think, you know, he brought about his wife, Mallory Pugh, who plays with the Red Stars being here. And the fact that, you know, during their season last year, both, you know, their each of their seasons, her with the Red Stars and him with the Braves, you know, they only got to see each other like once a month, even though they were engaged. And obviously that's not, you know, it's very hard to maintain a relationship when you never see each other. So I think being here, being with her, having the opportunity, I've I've already seen on his social media, he's already talking about going to some Red Star games and cheering her on. I think he's just, it's going to be a good environment for him. The contract is not, you know, the crazy 300 million 10 year deal that like, you know, not, you know, it is a lot of money what he's getting paid. Like, don't get me wrong. I'll take even a quarter of what he's getting paid, but it's not like one of those gigantic deals where like if he, if it's not what people expect, I just don't, I think it's, if Correa would have been here, the expectations would have been much heightened that he better perform. I don't feel the same way with Dansby. I, I don't know, Dustin, maybe you do or not. I don't know. No, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be fine. I, I have no, I have no concerns. I have no concerns at all. I, I, I thought his answer was great. I was shocked though, that he was not uh, aware of the grandfather thing. I was surprised by that, but I, right now, I feel really good about Swanson. There are some people, there are some people out there, and I want to get your opinion about this, Crowley. That are a little bit concerned that maybe he's being a little too. I'm the leader um, when he hasn't met these guys yet. Like he's already coming in and kind of, you know, I'm going to tell Rossi when I want to play. I'm going to get everybody. You know, I can go four. I can go four for four, and if we lose. I'm going to be upset. Ask my wife. I'm not here to lose. And you got to be able to play every. There's a lot of guys that don't want to play every day, Crowley. There's a lot of guys that only plan on playing 120 games, not 162. And is that is he kind of is he coming in a little bit too big and puffy chested? There are people that are worried about that. Myself, I'm not. But curious, your reaction to that? Eh, everyone's always going to have a complaint about something, right? You know, is, is that, <laughs> you know, if he didn't do that, if if he, if he if he didn't if he didn't do that, then people would be complaining that he's kind of he's a loafer. You know, I'm taking a look in my Cubs cave and I see a picture of Aramis Ramirez, and a lot of times people would kind of get down on him for you know a lot of different reasons. So, if the reason that you know people are down on him is because he wants to be a leader and he demands that everybody work hard. I'll take that. You know what I mean? I'm fine with that. If people don't like that, I, it, it, to me, it's better than the guys that that really don't care are putting in 100% effort, you know? Yep, I take it for sure. That's I'm all for it. it. All for it. Now, the other person that we were excited about, the other person we were excited about signing was, that, uh, through his press conference 
was uh, Jamison Tyone. And, you know, there, there's, there's uh, in the audio, there was something in the press conference and in Jed's audio that I just absolutely love and we definitely have to talk about. So let's hear what there you have to say. There are players that will, that will sort of always, you know, go to the last dollar and that's their right, but there's also, you know, players that are, you know, really focused on fit or, 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 or you know, places I think they can really improve their career. And, and I got the sense of Jamison, he was definitely in that category that, then he loved Chicago, uh, which I, I knew before that this was a really appealing place to him. And you know, I think from really the beginning, I think we looked at the starting pitching market, and and you know we knew what we wanted needed to improve offensively. And I feel like uh, looking at, at where he fit in the starting pitching market, he was really our kind of our main target. Um, we you know, liked the profile. I feel like he's been he's been you know been in a major market. You know he throws strikes. He feel like he's got, he's got good stuff. And we knew he had great makeup and. I was actually really bummed I couldn't be at that at that meeting. I actually had COVID, and, and so I couldn't travel. But um, anyone that knows Craig Breslow knows that you know when he can really engage, when he can really engage someone on pitching, he's incredible. And uh, Jamison's really smart, you know, really thoughtful on pitching. And uh, I wasn't surprised that they kind of pitching geeked out for you know a bunch of hours. And um, I knew that went well. Um, so um, I think those personal touches are, are really important. And, and listen, like we, we meet with a lot of players. Um, we don't sign all of them. We don't get all of them. But I think that even if you don't sign them, I think that that, you, that reputation um, follows you. I think that, you know, maybe that guy tells a teammate that he really enjoyed it or maybe that guy's a free agent two years from now and he remembers it. So, I mean, I don't, uh, I don't only think it's about – signing that particular player I think that a lot of times it's about I mean you learn something every time and I, I try to remember that too that you know it's the you know what you leave that player with and it's also what you gain I mean we we met with a bunch of other players other than you know Damsey other than Jameson and I learned something in every meeting and I think that's really valuable there are players that will that was sort of always so let me let me just say this one guy that I'm hoping that we get on this show is Craig Breslow. And there are two guys, one on the hitting side and one on the pitching side. So Justin Stone is the name that you want to remember for the hitting side. And he's in charge of all the hitting all the way from top bottom. Craig Breslow is that on the pitching side. And what we've seen from the pitching side, obviously I think is a little bit ahead of the hitting side. Not to say that the, the hitting side's not going to come around, but Craig Breslow is a name that within baseball is very highly regarded with a lot of people liking what he brings to the table and the way that the Cubs are organizing their pitching infrastructure. And so, as Jed said there, he had COVID. He couldn't go to the meeting. That, the plan was Jed's going to the meeting. And instead, it's Craig Breslow that has to kind of do that. You know what I mean? Which, you know, Craig Breslow's a pitching guy. He's not the one that's kind of selling you. He's kind of the guy that Jed turns to and says, okay, Craig, say a little bit about, you know, what you think, right? So, so Jed's not there. Craig's got to lead this thing. And what's supposed to be like a 30, 45 minute meeting turns into those two guys talking for two hours about pitching and geeking out about pitching. And so I think that, that, that I'd love to have Craig Breslow on here and, and hopefully we will soon, but he's a guy that I think, you know, sealed the deal to make sure that they got Jamison Tyone. You heard that, you know, last time we talked about the videos that were made and, and how the Cubs met in person, but that connection that Breslow and Jamison have is what really kind of cemented the deal. And I'm really, like I said, I think out of everybody, 
I'm very, very curious to see what Jameson brings to the table and what the Cubs can do to take Jameson Tyone to the next level. I agree. That was great. Good for Craig Breslow. Maybe that was a good sign of COVID. Kept uh, kept Jed out of the mix, and so the two of them could, <laughs> as they said, geek out over it. Um, yes, and I'm really excited about Tyon as well. He, you know, maybe he's the guy. Maybe he's the breakout guy that can end up at the top of next year's Cubs rotation. Now, speaking of another important pitcher, the last of the 2016 players on the roster, Kyle Hendricks, who, again, we haven't heard a lot about since he's gone down with injury, uh, I think it was May, early June of last season. And so, you know, Jed was asked, how, how's he doing? And the answer didn't make me very confident. So he's in Arizona. He's been working out really hard with our guys there, which has been great. They've got a nice group there that's been, that's been working out at the complex every day. Um, he's throwing um, not long, maybe not far distances, but he's throwing right now. Uh, physically, he, he's, he's doing really well. And, you know, I think this is one where, you know, we're going to ramp him up slowly. And, um, you know, our hope is that all the all the rehab stuff and all the straight thing he's done uh, really takes hold. There's no way to, to know. I mean, certainly, you know, I think we we really want him to be a huge part of, of next year's team and, and, and going forward. I mean, he's as good a teammate and competitor as you're going to have. Um, but, of course, we also have to think about, you know, if he, if he can't. And I think that that's, just, that's our job is to, you know, you have to build real depth. And um, we're going to have injuries. We're going to have, you know, guys that struggle. And we have to be able to prepare for that. And I think last year through the farm system and then through free agency, we didn't do that well enough. And then early in the season, you know, at one point we were down Miley and Smiley and Stroman was down for a while. And that was really when we fell, you know, way out of the race. And, you know, that last year I don't think we were going to compete for the division, but certainly we fell further behind 500 than than we imagined. And that was really due to pitching depth. So I really hope Kyle is healthy and, and himself next year. Uh, that would be wonderful, and that's our hope. But we also have to prepare if not. Yeah, so he's in Arizona. He's been working out really hard. So, you know, a couple things that, that kind of stood out to me from that clip. Number one, it says that he's throwing, right? There's always this joke, you know, when, when you kind of sit there and they're throwing off flat ground. That doesn't inspire a lot of confidence in you. The fact that you're not on a mound throwing makes me nervous. So he's throwing, you know, he's kind of gaining some strength. I was thinking at this point in time that he would be further along in the process. Now, again, we don't know all the details. We don't see the medicals, anything like that. But, you know, it, it's there's certain guys. Kerry Wood was a guy that was always throwing off flat ground, and we were supposed to be, you know, super excited about that. I'm trying to think of that reliever we got from the Dodgers that got injured when Joe Madden was around. He was another guy. Ah, he's throwing off flat ground great uh, you know what i mean if if pitching required just throwing off flat ground i'd feel much more confident you got to be on a mound and so i thought i thought hendrix would be further along than he than the way that jed made it sound what did you think about that dustin i, I agree not throwing far stands out to me not throwing far that bothered me and then we're going to bring him along slowly and he didn't say it once but twice slowly bring him along so th th that that stood out. Yeah, I, I don't I don't see Kyle Hendricks being the opening day guy. And the other thing is, with the depth that they do have, the the luxury is they really don't have to push him if that's not needed. So and I and I honestly, Crowley, I wonder Absolutely. that if he yeah. was right, 
I wonder if he was right if he would have been a guy that would be shopped around during the offseason, during this time of year, if he was actually right. Well, even even with him not 100% right, you know, you've heard kind of whispers that he's available. Now, again, you're not going to get much for him, you know, right. with, with the injury uh, situation right now. But, but the one thing that Jed talked about, and it's absolutely true, is that when you lose anywhere, you know, when you lose three-fifths, four-fifths of your starting rotation, I don't care who you are. That's really difficult to overcome. And so when I think about the 2022 season and how Wade Miley never got started, Smiley was not really available until the second half. You had a stretch where, you know, um, that uh, – they had injuries with Kyle Hendricks, obviously. And Marcus Stroman had a case of COVID, and then he had a shoulder situation. And so I think about especially that time period of May to June where they were just absolutely getting crushed. And it really did completely drop them out of the race. I don't know. You know, Jed, Jed wasn't right. That team wasn't winning much, but they shouldn't have been as bad as they were. That Especially that first half was difficult to watch. And then as some of the younger guys kind of got, you know, their feet under them a little bit, you started to have some surprises with Adrian Sampson, other guys getting called up later, like Hayden Wisniewski, uh, you know, and Caleb Killiam and some guys. It, it started to get more fun and exciting. But, yeah, the lack of depth the first half killed them last season, and I don't think we're going to see a repeat of that this year. No. I, I don't. I don't think so either. Crowley, let's get into some of the. Uh, let's get into some of the soap opera. That's always fun. There was a little. There was a little Cubs soap opera supposedly going on, and uh, Jed. Jed addressed that with uh, with the guys. Yeah, you know it's funny. I think that if if Jed has a New Year's resolution for Crane, it's talk less on these uh, on the Mully and Haw show because you know, look, Crane's Crane loves the Cubs. You know what I mean, and he wants them to be successful as well. But, but again, Jed and Theo come from the don't say anything more than you have to camp. And so when, you're start, you know, when you start saying, oh, you know, there's, there's plenty of money and you can get plenty of players and hopefully this and that, it does put pressure on Jed. Jed had a plan and the plan luckily worked out. But, uh, you know, here's what they had to say as far as the soap opera was concerned. It really wasn't. I mean, it was just one of those distractions. I mean, I talked to Crane two or three times a day. We have a great relationship. There's I mean, no sense of, of tension. And, and to me... I think that's kind of what I was even alluding to before that, you know, I had, I, I briefed those guys all the time on, on what's going on. And, you know, they knew, they knew, Crane knew that, you know, that Swanson was, we were in good position, that we were talking to them, that there was real mutual interest. And, you know, there was never any sense of like additional pressure or anything like that based on the comments. So, you know, I felt like, you know, sometimes there's a, you know, with, with these jobs, there's a soap opera element to them. And, uh, yeah, we have to do our best. We have to do our best to uh, ignore that. But uh, in the building, in the building, there was never any tension or any concern. And like I said, throughout the whole process, I'm talking to Crane and Tom all the time, and you know, we have a great relationship. And I think we're all in this together. I mean, we, you know, I think that, you know, as as you think about uh, the organization, you know, when, you know, you, you sort of win together, and then when 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 you have to, you know you know, build a, build things back, you, you do it together as well. And um, they've been really supportive, which has been wonderful. It really wasn't. I mean, it was just one of those. 
So no doubt about it. Like, you know, I know it irritated Jed. I, there, there's no way it didn't. It's kind of like, dude, what are, you, what are you doing there? Because as confident as he was about getting Dansby Swanson, that was no sure thing, Dustin. And if they did not get Dansby Swanson, if Dansby ended up signing with the Twins or something else, you and I are having way different conversations right now. Yeah, it's a totally different vibe. It's a totally different theme. There is no doubt about that. This is Season 1, Episode 59, Jed Hoyer on 670. The score, we don't want you to remember to forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, make it a New Year's resolution to listen, download, review, and subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. And now we are going to hear Part 2 of Crawley's interview with Chip Carey. They talk about the 2003 season and the struggles of 2004 and much, much more. Another fantastic year that you got to witness firsthand was 2003. And, and people, I think, kind of sometimes forget that the first half of 2003 was okay. But it wasn't until that trade, the Ramos Ramirez, Kenny Lofton, getting Randall Simon, that they took off on that second half. Do, at what point did you say to yourself, this team really has a chance to win it all? Well, we were in Atlanta when the Braves uh, and Cubs were playing. And Jim Henry pulled off that trade with the Pirates. And I got the press release. And I'll never forget, I went... Like everybody else, my jaw dropped. And then I took the press release and I handed around the, uh, the partition to my dad, who was working next to me at Turner Field. And I said, this just happened. He read and went, wow. And he broke the news on TBS that the Braves had made that deal. Look, you know, the, the, the Cubs went for it. Jim Henry did a great job. You had Wood, you had Pryor, you had Zambrano. I mean, that was as good a threesome in the major leagues that year as anybody, you had power, you had speed, you had a very dynamic team. What was missing was that banger at third base that you could put in the middle of the lineup every single day and a speedy guy in center field who could go get the ball in Kenny Lofton. And um, look, Jim Henry was a great GM, did a fantastic job getting those guys, put them over the top. And I think it gave people the sense that, hey, they're trying to win. And that's obviously something the guys in the room feel. And when you're broadcasting the games, you feel the same thing too. Hey, we're trying to win this thing. Let's go do it. And once that deal was made, I agree with you. I think it gave everybody some more pep in the step, and they took off. Now, I sit there, and, and the one thing I hate, and I'm sure you hate this too, is when they take the local guys off the broadcast, and then the postseason they go with the national guys. I mean, you guys, I love it, the, the guys that you know know the team, the ins and outs, the intricacies of everything. And so, you know, the Cubs win their first postseason series, uh, what, since 1908 in Atlanta in 2003, were you there with, with your dad? No. Nope. No, you weren't in Chicago? In Miami either, um, for myriad reasons. But I'm with you. I, I wish there were – look, the money is so big. If the Yankees or the Mets are in, they don't want to lose that market for TV ratings for the playoffs because that's how they sell advertising. I get that. Um, I, I do wish – I like what Bob Costa said. Bob took some heat this year for the way that he broadcast the Yankees series. But he made an excellent point. I wish there was a way – that the local broadcasters would get to broadcast in, say, just Metro Atlanta for those audience members. Because you're right, we know the team better than they're ever going to know them. And, you know, for it to be turned over to the network guys, it's really, really hard. They don't follow the team the same way that we do. Um, and it's hard being a TV guy when the season's over and when the games start to matter most, you're out of luck. You just get to watch and spectate. So, um, but that's a, that's a decision way above my pay grade, but hopefully someday somehow they'll find a way to let the local guys have, uh, have, have some role. 
I agree, Chip. Now, you know, after 2003, the Cubs get Maddox and they get Latroy Hawkins. It looks like they're kind of filling in some of the pieces they need. And all of a sudden the season falls apart. And it, it was really kind of like one of the weirdest, darkest, like winning seasons for the Cubs. Usually when you associate winning and Cubs, you associate good times. But it just oh, seemed four? like, yeah, 2004. Four. Yeah. It just seemed like, you know, it, it just seemed like there was a lot of bickering and problems, uh, you know, people calling up to the press box and all that. I mean, what was it like being in the middle of that, that strange storm going on? That wasn't fun. Uh, you know, look, our job is to broadcast the games. It's the player's job to play the games. Uh, it's not their job to critique the announcers. Uh, it is our job to do that. And that was hard. Um, we could have been better supported, I think, uh, from management. Uh, and from the manager's chair on down, look, Dusty and I have made amends, so that's over. It's ancient history. But living that in the prism was not easy. It wasn't fun. And, you know, look, it's easy to find a target when you're not playing well. And the Cubs in 04 at times didn't play particularly well. This was a team that was put together on paper to be better than 03 and get to the World Series. And I think had they stayed healthy, they would have. In fairness to them, they weren't. Pryor was hurt. Zambrano got hurt. I think Kerry got hurt. I mean, it was one injury after another, and still saying that, they went into September with a shot to, to make postseason play. Um, you know, it, was, um, it wasn't enjoyable. You know, it's not fun. And uh, I, I think, um, you know, looking back in retrospect, I think both Steve and I could have probably handled that a little bit better. But that said, I don't pitch it. I don't catch it. I don't throw it. I don't make out the lineup card and neither Steve nor I put the team together. It's up, up to, ultimately up to the then 25 guys and the coaching staff in that room to make it work. They couldn't, they didn't play well enough to get in. And as you said, 2004 was, it was hard. It was hard. It was hard on a lot of different levels because of the expectations of how good the team was supposed to be. But you know what, when you get hurt, your team's not your team. You know, you, you, you just have to sort of chalk it up to bad luck and move on. And that's unfortunately what happened. And, and I think what Cub fans got used to, you know, coming from the days of Harry and Steve, and then later on you and Steve is just being honest about what you're seeing on the field. And I, sometimes that's honesty is not the easiest thing. When you see something, your job is to kind of report it as, as you guys see it. And, and that's what you did. I'm not going to lie for any player. I'm not. Steve wasn't going to lie for any player. Our integrity matters too much to us. And look, it's television. People can see for themselves. Um, you know, I, I took great pride in knowing that I'm not a ripper. I wasn't Harry. This is a lousy ball club. This guy's, you know, that wasn't me. That wasn't my style. It never has been, never will be. But at the end of the day, when you lose 10 games in a row or you're four for 42 like Todd Hundley might have been, there is not a lot you can do about that other than point out the numbers. And if the players don't like that, then there's one thing they can do. Play better. They're the only guys that can control the narrative in the media, in the broadcast booth or whatever. We can try to soften the blow, but ultimately it's up to them. And as you know in life, uh, when things are going good, nobody's picking up the phone and calling the power company and saying, hey, thanks for keeping my lights on. That's part and parcel <laughs> of it. And uh, that's kind of the approach that both Steve and I took. And that's the approach I still take. Well, I got to tell you, you know, you've come back a couple times to Wrigley when, when you broadcast games at Atlanta. I've seen you a couple times. You've always been generous with the fans. You know, it, it was Harry Carey that started that tradition of being mic'd up and doing the take me out to the ball game. You've done it yourself. How, how fun is that to think about that and, and, and just having those 40,000 eyes up there on you while you well, leave the stretch? Well, that's right? When, when 40,000 people turn and look at you and you got to hit that first C note, yeah, it's a little rough. It's a little intimidating, but it's fun. It's great homage. I enjoyed it. I've done it several times. I'm a terrible singer like my grandfather, but 
the spirit of the uh, of the thing is not lost on me, nor is the emotion of it. He uh, he had a unique ability to connect with the fans, and uh, he loved being amongst them, as they say. And there was no better showman, no better guy to to make people feel like the ballpark was a place where it's supposed to be fun. And hopefully, I'm able to continue that tradition as well. Well, you know, you, you know, you had to be felt comfortable knowing that you saw some pretty bad guest conductors. Any anyone that you just really kind of sometimes still laugh at or shake your bad head. That is good, man. Ozzy sticks out right away. Ozzy Osbourne, <laughs> he was great. Uh, Mike Ditka uh, was was awesome. Uh, you know, when you'd have the Nutria North Junior Varsity High School assistant uh, soccer coach, those were always fun interviews. Uh, but look, we didn't take it too seriously. We had fun with it. And, you know, when you're not used to having a microphone, and as I said, having 30,000 people look at you when you got to sing and perform, you know, the old saying, you got to be good when the red light's on, you find out pretty quickly who can do it and who can't. And, uh, you know, the, the folks that did it, did it in the spirit which it was intended, which was fun. And uh, John McDonough had that brilliant idea, and John did a great job with it. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm forever grateful for the Cubs for continuing that tradition. Now, you talk about performing when the red light's on. The Cubs just signed Dansby Swanson, shortstop, to uh, to come on up and play for the Northsiders. And you've had, a, you know, you've gotten to watch Dansby throughout his career in Atlanta, hometown kid. What can you tell Cub fans uh, about Dansby Swanson, both the player and the teammate? Well, he had the second best hair in the Braves organization, just saying. Um, no, he's a great guy. He's a winner. All he wants to do is win. He's obsessed with winning. He's going to do all the little things that it takes to win. He's going to set the tone and tempo and culture in that locker room, not just for now, but for the young players that you guys have coming up through your system. He wants to play every day. Uh, he's going to hit for power. He's going to make all the plays at shortstop. He's athletic. He's smart. He has a very high baseball IQ. He's going to drive you nuts because he's going to strike out a lot. Uh, but when he hits the ball to right center field, he's going to hit a lot of home runs and a lot of doubles in that gap. The Cubs are going to have very good middle defense with Bellinger in center, Horner at second, Swanson over at shortstop. Um, you know, the, the price that the Cubs paid was one that I assume was, was uh, too high for the Braves at this point in time. And I liken it to when the Cubs signed John Lester. They signed him to an over-market deal not for the first year that they brought him, but for all the things that John Lester brought to your team, which eventually was a world championship. And I think the same is going to be true for Dansby Swanson. We're going to miss him in Atlanta. Um, he's a great player. And uh, I think that the infield grass at Wrigley, the capricious winds, as Steve Stone used to call them at Wrigley, are things that are really going to help him. And I hope, as a uh, guy who saw him play pretty much every game in the major leagues, I hope that he falls in love with Chicago as much as I fell in love with being at Wrigley Field. And if he does, it'll be a wonderful seven-year marriage. And it would not surprise me to see him leading a parade down Michigan Avenue before his contract is out. Oh, to, from your lips to the baseball God's ears. One <laughs> more player right now is, is that a guy that went from Atlanta, now he's going to Milwaukee on the north side of the Cheddar Curtain, William Contreras, who we, you know, we knew his brother quite well. Uh, what do you see happening with William as far as his future? Oh, he's an offensive catcher. Uh, he, you know, he's got to work thing, on things defensively. He got a lot better this year uh, compared to his rookie season. He's an all-star. The guy can hit, and he can play first base. He can play the outfield if he had to. He can DH. He can catch. He's going to hit a lot of home runs at American Family Field. Uh, he's, a, he's a really good young player and a guy that I think is going to help the Brewers as they begin the next transition and next stage of whatever their development's going to be. Uh, look, the Braves pride themselves on drafting and developing young, talented players to get him to the major leagues. And Alex Anthopoulos really held his powder for the first two, three years when he was the GM here. 
He's not afraid now to trade young players to get proven commodities. And uh, Murphy, the kid that they got from the Oakland A's, is a gold glove caliber guy, uh, terrific catcher, terrific, terrific receiver. And that's something the organization in Atlanta really, really, really puts a premium on. So to get a guy like that in the prime of his career, the price was William Contreras and a whole boatload of other players. But Alex Anthopoulos thinks he's got the answer behind the plate for the next several years. We'll see if he's right. Well, Chip, I appreciate you giving us your time today, and it was great talking and reminiscing back to it. We really, I, I can say as somebody that grew up in my early 20s, just watching you and being the voice of the Cubs from the 90, you know, from the late 90s to the early 2000s, it was a blast. And I appreciate you coming on the Fly the W podcast. Well, thank you. My pleasure. Good luck to the Cubs, unless, of course, they play my beloved Braves. But we'll uh, look forward to seeing you guys soon, and Merry Christmas. Take care, Chip. Thank you. You too. Take care. You're listening to Season 1, Episode 59 of the Fly the W Podcast. Please don't forget to listen, download, review, and subscribe to the Fly the W Podcast. Well, Crawley, we said it at the beginning of this edition, and the uh, Cubs dodge a Carlos Correa bullet, if you will. Yeah, you and I both talked. We, we said Carlos Correa is our guy from the minute that offseason started we, we, and when he signed with the Giants, we were immensely disappointed. We talked about his improved defense and the need for the Cubs to really have a middle-of-the-order bat that the Cubs are sorely lacking. And so, you know, the Cubs were, you know, supposedly in on him, had conversations. We heard recently that they did not meet with him in person. But it wasn't just the Cubs. The twin were interested in were offering him 10 years, $285 million. But as we woke up that day... And we saw that the Giants, who missed out on Aaron Judge, they pushed all the chips in on Correa, signing him to one of the largest contracts in baseball history, the biggest shortstop contract, 13 years, $350 million. And, you know, as, as people always say in the business, pending physical, which is always just kind of a formality. Yeah, pending physical, no, no problem. It's done deal, right? So Carlos Correa is in San Francisco He's with his family in a hotel. Scott Boris is on the same floor. They're going to be introduced at Oracle Park. There's a big media tour, press conference. They're going to do the old cable car, Rice-A-Roni, downtown San Francisco. <laughs> going to be a big deal, right? Going to, this is going to be a huge deal. But then about 17 minutes before it happens, the media gets notified, today's Gi Giants press conference has been postponed. And that's it. After that, Radio silence. The players didn't know what was going on. Some of the minority owners uh, of the Giants team, nobody knew what was going on. What was the problem? And so what ends up happening, and, and, and this is bizarre, right? The Giants contact Boris, and, and they're worried about a physical because of a surgically repaired lower right leg that came from an injury in the minor league. He caught a spike on a base, had a fractured right fibula, minor ligament damage. This is in 2014, Dustin, when he was in the Astros minor league system. Now, I'm not telling you that Carlos Correa plays 162 like Dansby does. He's missed some time for just a different amount of reasons. And, and the, the assumption that everybody made was the back. He's had some injuries with the back. And that's right away where everyone pointed to. Nobody, nobody saw this coming with the lower leg injury. He has not missed any time in the major leagues for that lower leg injury, for any lower leg injury. And so the Giants wanted more time before finalizing any agreement with Correa. They talked to Boris, 
And Boris is like, we had a deal. There's, you know, the, we because each there's an independent physical and there's a physical that the team does. And Boris is not happy. So Boris, you know, they talked to Boris about restructuring the contract. Maybe less years, less money. So you know Boris don't play that, right? So he contacts Steve Cohen, the owner of the Mets, and classic, classic Boris. He says, Correa may have come early. And so <laughs> Boris is in San Francisco. Cohen is on vacation in Hawaii, and they're working the phones late, late, late into the night. And the, uh, according to reports that I read, Steve Cohen is drinking a martini because, of course, what would a billionaire be drinking? Um, he's drinking a martini, and what what uh, Boris says is, do you have three olives for Carlos Correa? Right? $300 million. Now, Cohen, you know, as far as it goes, he wants to win. And all of a sudden, the morning after the press conference gets canceled, we all wake up, including the Giants and Mets fans, to the news that Correa is signed by the Mets to 12 years, $315 million. Okay. And so San Francisco is just blown away. And not only that, the owners were pissed off at Cohen about literally just absolutely blowing through every kind of financial penalty baseball had put in. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. He wants to win. This, this is a toy to him. And so he doesn't care what he has to spend to do it. And that's what he did. But what he did do was a mistake. And in one regard here, he talked to Odyssey baseball insider, John Heyman. Okay. What MLB says is you don't talk about any deal till it's done till it is a hundred percent finalized. Well, Cohen was so happy about it. He talks to John Heyman. We needed one more <laughs> thing. And this is it talking about Carlos Correa. Well, guess what? The Mets medical staff have the same concerns about the leg that the Giants medical staff has. So now the Giants feel a lot better because they don't look like they really scrooched the pooch on this one. And now all of a sudden the Mets are in trouble because of what Cohen said. We needed one more thing and this is it. Now, if let's say the Mets decided to start backing out or trying to get out of the deal, that would go, that would be a grievance filed by Boris and Correa. And now you got to go in front of an arbitrator and they're going to say, look, this guy already, the, the owner said it is a done deal. And now he's backing off. That's going to affect Correa's trade market. And the Mets would absolutely lose out on that. So the Mets are really kind of in a bind here. They're stuck. But I got to ask you, Dustin, I mean, does it, any of this at all sound like, because let, let, okay, let's say the Giants did get cold feet. Okay, understandable. You know the Mets did not have cold feet about the contract. Cohen doesn't care. He's ready to just start raining dollar, $100 bills on these guys. No problem. What is it? I mean, if he's never had a lower leg injury in all the time he's played, since he's, what, it was six, seven years he's been in MLB, what is the concern all of a sudden about this leg, do you think? Well, it's obviously something because the Giants did it and people like me, conspiracy theorists, well, maybe they got cold feet. Well, this is our way to get out of the deal. The Mets swoop in, but now we're hearing the same thing, right? That the Mets are having concerns about the leg as well. And so it's not about the money. It's about the health of the player. 
and something's up. He misses a lot of games. I mean, when you were making check marks against the different guys, availability and Carlos Correa, he was probably fourth. If availability was something that was high on your list of things you wanted for this position, then Correa was at the bottom of that group. Now, there's other things like power that he's probably the highest of the other four guys. So I think it's real, but I don't have a problem with Cohen. I mean, listen, God bless. He bought the team. He's got the cash. There's no cap. There's penalties. He doesn't care and let him do whatever he wants. Got to be, you may be ecstatic if you were a Mets fan right now. Absolutely ecstatic. Right. And, and in a way, that's what we thought for a long time. That's what we had with the Ricketts, right? That, that, you know, when they were spending all that money for so long, it, it seemed like that money wasn't an issue. And then all of a sudden it was. But the thing about this that, that kind of throws me off is when you look at the injury history of Correa, again, the back is the one that keeps coming up. He had a torn ligament in his thumb that had, I mean, it was just a baseball injury. You get what I'm saying? The back injury was the one thing that I think some people definitely had some concerns about, but, but, no, but but if this was ish, leg was such an issue, he signed a pretty pretty hefty deal with the Twins, and their medicals didn't didn't say anything about that. And not only that, the Twins who already did their physical evaluation of him, you know, they know what his his medical history is. They're ready to sign him to a massive deal as well. It was ten years, two hundred eighty five million. Well, the were they Crowley? Were, were were they were they really willing to do that, or is that just the agent doing his job and saying that a team out there like the Twins? I mean, the Twins are never going to come out and say that they never did that because that would ruin the relationship with the agent. But I just I just wonder, Crowley. I just I just wonder. This is something that we obviously will have to keep our uh, eyes and ears on, if you will. You know, you can get all the latest comments from us here at the Fly the W podcast. We're going to wrap this one up, Crowley. Season one, episode fifty nine. It is in the books. Jed Hoyer on six seventy. The score. We want to wish all of the listeners a uh, very safe and happy New Year. If we don't get to you before New Year's, I have a feeling we will. But just in case we don't. Want to get that out of the way. We hope you had a great Christmas as Crowley and I are recording this on uh, December 26th or Boxing Day, as some would say. And don't forget, if news does break, you can follow it by following us on our socials, Fly the W670 on Instagram and Twitter, Fly the W on Facebook, and you can email us at flythew670 at gmail.com. Go Cubs! It's all over.